0: Amen. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Exodus. That's Genesis. Exodus, it's the second book of the Bible. Exodus chapter 15, we're going to read one verse 11. Just one verse, verse 11. So if you don't have your Bibles, it's going to be on the screen, and we are going to read it together. Exodus 15, verse 11 says... Who among the gods is like you, Lord, who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, hungry for more of you. We recognize your presence here in this place and we're so grateful. And we pray that as we continue in the time that we have together in this text and at this table that you would bless us. You would bless us with your presence. You would give us single-mindedness, wholehearted devotion to you that we would be faithful to who you are and who you've called us to be, so come, Holy Spirit. come, Holy Spirit, pray that with me. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, foundations are critical. they are vitally important your home foundation, the foundation of this church, physically speaking. The tallest building in the world, the Burj Khalifa in Dubai, stands at 2,716 feet. It uses a 12-foot thick raft foundation, 192 piles that are five feet across, buried 164 feet deep, 110,000 tons of concrete used in the foundation alone. It's the most important part of any building. That's the point of Jesus' parable, the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. When the winds came and the rain came, his house collapsed. A building, even such as this, can only stand if its foundation is strong enough to hold it up. If the foundation buckles that building Will fall. And we saw this two years ago in June. The Surfside building in Miami, Florida, it partially collapsed. The foundation crumbled. 98 people lost their lives. It's devastating when a building fails. The foundation is everything. This morning, we're starting a new series on faith foundations. And everything we've given ourselves to this morning is a part of that foundation, the gathering where there is. Holy noise. I love the sound of children in our midst, even when they're crying. Don't let that bother you. That's the sound of life. I love when we say the Apostles' Creed, and over my shoulder, I can hear Jason Jennings. I know my people. I love when I see the band singing, not just Josh, but even Stephen Hughes and the drum kit. I love that worship Of the band is in fact leadership of worship and what we give ourselves to in the time that we have together is foundational to who we are as a people. And so the next three weeks we're talking about faith foundations. And this morning our focus is on the holy nature of God. Next week we'll talk about the holy gospel in the fullest, the holy gospel of God. And then we'll close out this series with the holy people. Of God, And here's the thing about God. We don't have to guess about who God is. He reveals himself to us. He wants us to know who he is. And so there are two types of revelation. There is natural revelation that's been in existence since the beginning of time. All creation testifies to the goodness of God, to the glory of God. And if we fail to praise him, will not the very rocks cry out? Holy, holy, holy. There's also special revelation. God has given us his word when the time was right. God stepped out in the person and work of Jesus. And then when the time was right, the written word to capture the story of God, the person and work of Jesus was given. Jesus is the word made flesh. Dr. Timothy Tennant, in his book on foundations of the Christian faith, wrote, the Bible, this book of revelation is much deeper than a revelation of things that we need to know. It's so much more than information. The purpose of the Bible is not merely to help us understand things about God, but to help us know him and his saving purposes for us and for the world. The Bible helps us to know the holy nature of God, the whole nature of God. And the scripture that we just read is... One verse that reveals God's nature based on experience that the people of Israel had. It's a song that Moses and the Israelites sang after the exodus through the Red Sea out of Egypt. God delivered them from the hand of their oppressors. They were slaves no more. They'd been in Egypt for 430 years. And it wasn't all bad in the beginning. They thrived. But as their numbers grew... They also grew more and more intimidating to the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, who perceived the Israelites to be a potential threat to his dynasty, so he oppressed them and made their life bitter with harsh labor. And the Israelites groaned in their slavery. They didn't even necessarily cry out to God. They groaned in their slavery, but God heard their groaning. Knew their voice, saw the plight of their circumstances, and he responded. God called one man, Moses, to lead his people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And Moses was insecure about who he was, who he was called to be, but God was faithful. And after many convincing signs to Moses and many unproductive encounters with Pharaoh, whose heart grew hardened by each meeting, God delivered the Israelites up out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Moses led the Israelites right through the Red Sea. They were slaves no more. And this song, the verse we read from that song is more like a historical document of what just happened. It's almost like a musical. And the emphasis here in verse 11 is on God's uniqueness. There's Repetition of this rhetorical question, who among the gods is like you, serves the purpose to underscore, there is no one like our God. He has no rival. One commentator said of this verse, translated it like this, you are infinitely superior to all real and fake superhuman beings, including angels, heavenly and fallen. And even to what the pagans think their non-existent gods are. Who is like the Lord? Verse 11 gave us three descriptors. He is majestic in holiness, glorious, inspiring wonder in the eye of the beholder. That's you and me, we who do God's will and reflect his values. He is awesome in glory, altogether good. All he does is right, even impressive, working wonders. The same commentator said, God does the supernatural and the amazing as easily as he does the typical and the routine. He does regularly and consistently what no human or other being can do so that humans who trust in him and live in right relationship to him can rejoice in his power to do what for them would be or seem impossible. There is no one like our God. He is holy. He is completely different than you and me. And he has called us to be holy, which seems impossible, but it has everything to do with our trust in and our relationship to God. So who is this God? What is his holy nature? We're talking about the attributes of God. And if we put our heads together, I bet we could brainstorm a pretty significant list of God's attributes. Theologians categorize God's attributes into two groups, communicable and incommunicable. Communicable attributes are qualities that both God and humanity possess. And so we can understand those like love and grace and mercy and kindness and compassion. Incommunicable attributes are those qualities possessed by God alone. Things like omnipotence, God is all powerful, omniscient, God is all knowing, omnipresent, God is all present. We could exhaust both of those lists communicable and incommunicable. But let me say this of incommunicable attributes those are those things of God's holy nature that distinguish him from all other gods, talking lowercase g. They put God in his rightful place on the throne as Lord and King and Savior, and they help us to know the difference between the one true God and all of the other idols that we cling to. The communicable attributes of God make God relatable, and they help us to understand him Help us to rightly know him and to make him known in the scattering. But there are at least two problems we have in thinking about God's attributes. And the first is our experience with these attributes has only ever been in very limited ways. We have a limited understanding of God's attributes. We don't understand the fullness of God's love or grace, or justice. Communicably speaking, we have an idea of what love is, but we equate love with like, or with things like tacos. (laughs) And love is so much more. Think about the love of a father. We may understand God as father, but even the best father among us is only a dim reflection of God the Father. So even if our earthly fathers love us well, that is an imperfect love at best. And for some in this room, their father was cold, distant, and maybe even absent. But God is the perfect picture of love. Or think about God as judge. And for some, our minds might go straight to corruption, this corrupt hardened judge who is impossible to trust, but God is just and full of mercy and he is completely trustworthy. God's incommunicable attributes, they're even harder to wrap our brains around. That God is all powerful, but sometimes he limits his power, meaning we know God can do anything, but sometimes he doesn't do what we ask him to do, Lord, please heal this person. Why, Lord? We don't even know what to do with that. Our understanding of God's nature is in some ways limited by theory and in other ways bound by experience. The reality is, All of God's attributes exist in God's person in their purest and fullest form. God, he is the epitome of love. His mercy is picture perfect. Knows no end. God alone embodies every attribute perfectly, purely to the fullest extent. The other problem we have with the way we think about God's attributes is we tend to rank God's attributes or prioritize them according to our preference. And sometimes we think that the God of the Old Testament is a God of justice, the God of the New Testament is a God of mercy. And what we mean to say is that grace is a much more important attribute or a much more godlike attribute. Then judgment, which is a slippery slope pitting God against himself or at least some of his qualities against others. God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And we do see grace in the Old Testament. We do know justice in the new. And the reality is the whole of God's love and justice were on display in the cross. It's like a flower with a petal Coming off of the center, the whole entity is God's whole nature. Dr. Timothy Tennant said, God is a unified, integrated whole who in his own nature and person fully embodies all of the attributes simultaneously in their full perfection. Church, when we think about the holy nature of God, who he is, Our tendency is to esteem those attributes that we know, like, and experience, and to rank them according to some hierarchical manner. But God is so much more than that. God is completely other. That's what it means that God is holy. His attributes, those we relate to, those we can't even begin to understand, they exist in God's person in full perfection, and they are united in him completely, serving and informing one another so why is it important for us to have a true picture of who God is and what God is like because who we are and what we do is not based on preference or experience it's not built around celebrity or personality it is not about me it's not about you It is all about the Lord, and there is so much more to who he is than we've experienced, so much more to who he's calling us to be than sound bites that we stick in our pocket or Instagram reels that we are inspired by. And that's why it's so crucial that we get this, that we begin to understand and peel back the layers of the holy nature of God. And we do start with what we know and what we can relate to and comprehend. But there is so much more of God to behold. And unless we give ourselves to the more, we may shortchange all that God has in store for us. There has got to be more. And that more is birthed out of right understanding of who God is and relationship to our holy God. And again, we don't have to guess about who God is. He revealed himself to us. When the time was right, Jesus stepped down out of heaven. He lived and breathed and died a brutal death. Hell could not keep him. Death could not hold him. On the third day, he was raised from the dead, he ascended into heaven and when he did, because he did, he went from being someone outside of us to the one who lives inside of those who believe, those who realize their need, repent of their sin and receive this gift. That's what it means to respond to the revelation God has given us. And it marks the beginning of our being saved, which is a journey on into eternity. Christ's death And resurrection is in no way the trumping of God's justice with God's love, but it is the fullest and most perfect manifestation of both justice and love, and it brings us back to the holy nature of God. God's attributes exist in God's person in their full perfection, and they are united in him, completely serving and informing who he is. So what does this mean for us? It means if we have a healthy understanding of the holy nature of God, then our foundation will not crumble. And when tough times come, we'll be able to withstand the storm. It means that I don't have to worry about the cares of this world, the salvation of the souls of men and women, because it's on God to save I can't rescue people. We can't save them, but we can love them and we can journey with them. God is God and we are not. And a healthy understanding of who God is helps us to frame out the way we live our lives. But here again, it's not about me and it's not about you. It is about we because you and me We are the body of Christ. We are the presence of the third person of the Trinity, Christ, in this world. And so what does it mean that we embody his attributes? We embody them in our gathering and in our scattering, which is very much like the heart constricting and relaxing or the lungs breathing in and then breathing out. We are a living, breathing, dynamic organism. The presence of Christ is inside of us, church. And when we scatter into the world as the church, our identity is Christ, the hope of the world. That's why it's important for us, family, to understand rightly who God is. I want to put the words of our scripture text back up because we see God's attributes even in the way he responded to his people, setting them free. And freedom is available to us. And so I want to read these again and give us time to reflect before Brandy comes to consecrate. We'll have maybe sixty seconds of silence, but would you receive these words, Exodus chapter fifteen, verse eleven? Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? Lord, speak for your children are listening.